Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to 2 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 9 here for just a minute. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about what the Lord's doing here. I was just thinking this, this morning's service, I just uh, felt so impressed on that truth. We sing it sometimes um, in that song, Waymaker, where it says, even when I don't see it, you're moving, even when I don't feel it. And uh, I w- was at a conference in Charlotte uh, a couple of years back, and I remember, I think it was Stephen Furtick who said, especially when, especially when I don't see it. And I want to encourage those of you in the room this morning, and you're kind of like, man, there was a time, and I saw him moving, things were shaking, it was good, and this is not that time. And uh, I just want to say, especially now, especially now, when it's beyond your ways, we're willing to accept and adhere to that scripture that his ways are higher than our ways, but when he doesn't operate in our ways, we start to doubt him. You know, it's kind of ironic. And, and so let the knowledge, let the reality of his ways being beyond higher than your ways, let that register when you don't see him moving, that he's doing stuff behind the scenes. He's doing things sometimes in front of the scenes and you're the one behind the scenes. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, where is all the action at? And it's all happening on the other side of the curtain. But that's okay because the Lord's there and he's doing it. Amen? Second Kings, if you were here with us last week, then you know we started uh, the story of Jehu and we spent uh, quite a bit of time breaking down uh, his anointing. And I want to draw your attention to something we have here in the house called The Breakdown. It's a podcast that's released weekly when some of our staff get together and they go through the message. Um, a, A really great group of guys, they'll bring in guest speakers and that sort of thing and just talk through some of the the details, some of the more complex points um, that we need to sort of work through, massage through in order to digest a little bit. And so if there's ever a thing that feels like, yeah, not only are God's ways higher than my ways, but there were parts about that sermon that are higher than my ways and I'm just not ready to get that yet. I don't know, maybe I missed something. Um, Sometimes the Lord will do that on purpose just to get us to go a little deeper, to get us to spend a little more time in it. And so um, the breakdown is an awesome resource to do exactly that. And you can get a link there on our church website. And I think it's on our church YouTube um, subscription as well. So 2 Kings chapter 9, and right on the heels of Jehu's anointing, it's not called a subscription, I know. What is it called? Channel, our YouTube channel. Okay. But if you have a subscription, you'll get it, right? You'll get notified when there's a... If you subscribe, if you follow, if you like it, I'm just kidding. I don't need you to do any of those things. I'm going to preach the gospel regardless, all right? So chapter 9, here's the deal. All right on the heels of the anointing. We read it. We talked about it. But I'm just going to pick you up right where we left off. If you didn't get a chance to gather it, at least go back and watch last week's message. But here's what happens. So Jehu is at a table of captains. And a man of God, Elisha, sends a messenger to go anoint him, say, hey, you're going to be the next king, and you're going to avenge uh, against the house of Ahab, the descendants of Ahab, the bloodline of Ahab, and you're going to be part of what restores balance and righteousness um, to Israel. And so he, he uh, gets up, and when he goes back out to the captains at the table, who he had been sitting with, and they're all kind of like, hey, what happened in there? And he's like, ah, you're not going to believe this. You know, this guy, blah, blah, blah. And he anointed me king. 
And they got up, they immediately responded. We kind of closed the message with this idea of these captains in this room laying down their, their coats and declaring out loud at the back end of verse 13, Jehu is king, right? So uh, a statement of treason that would have gotten them killed, yet they're acknowledging an anointing has just taken place. So they say, Jehu is king. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, in verse 14, conspired against Joram. We said, he turns his attention away from the battlefield, away from the front lines where all these captains were gathered there, leading military strategies against the Arameans. And he gets on a horse in a chariot and heads back to Jezreel to address where the problem really was. And we're going to get into that today, but I want to point out first what he says. He turns around to the folks that weren't coming with him. Some of his servants, some of his like personnel were going to be making this trip back with him. But to the captains who remained at the table, he says, if this is your mind, if what is your mind, if you're in agreement, if you're uh, in alignment with what the Lord has declared that I am going to be king, that I am king, he says this. If this is your mind, then let no one escape or leave the city or go to tell it in Jezreel. Interesting. Then Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel. For Joram, the king who needed killing, was lying there. And Ahaziah, the king of Judah, had come down to see him. Okay, so let's stop right there for a second. I didn't have this point written down in my notes, but as we jumped into it this morning, I felt led to pause here and work something out of this a little bit. We are in this culture, uh, we're in this democracy, we're in a time when we need to know everything all at once. We need to be aware, we need to have all the information all the time on everything. And if we don't, we think we're being denied something that will keep us alive. And it actually couldn't be further from the truth. I, I have this uh, gut check that all the information is actually part of what's killing us, okay? I think that... Uh, at this point, Jehu is saying to these captains who've just honored him, who've just ad- uh, agreed with the anointing on his life, and he's basically saying, okay, now we're not going to let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. In other words, yes, all of Israel, they have a new king. They're not going to know about it yet. And it's actually, it needs to be this way because there's this thing called order. Something has to take place in order for the will of the Lord to unfold in this narrative. And that required not everybody knowing everything all at once. Um, I'm troubled by the church today because I feel like we have, we have uh, really embraced the information age. And I remember Pastor Richard Crisco coming to speak at a leadership conference that we had a couple years back. I think he, he came to two, but one was back here on the other side of the building. And he talked about um, how every time we quote somebody, far and away, the quotable quotes that we have, uh, you know, the, the calendars that we have with quotes and the, you know, the books that we have with the quips and all these sort of different things, the really profound ones that we use in our, our graduation speeches and our statements, our public this and that, they're from people who were not our parents' age or our grandparents' age. They're people from who lived like 200 years ago and further. Why is that? Because those folks, here's Richard Crisco's theory on it, and I can't help but agree with him, that 200 years ago, people actually took the time to process a truth. 
they took the time to actually digest and meditate on something in such a way that it would render a reality, that it would render a statement that would change and shape and shift the trajectory and the future of mankind. That's incredible. But that's the kind of authority that God has invested in us. We were given that creative authority to take what is there and to, and to shape it and to mold it and to restate it in such a way that it would bring a spirit of transformation across uh, our region, across our land. So why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we quoting people from today, especially when it's never been easier? Now people put quotation marks around statements and post it just so you can quote them. It's remarkable. It's never been easier. There have never been more quotes you've been scrolling past and yet powerless. Why? Because we are, we are addicted to information. We, we indulge, we are gluttons for information. And one of the things that uh, Pastor Crisco pointed out that I, I feel like once a year it's worth revisiting. He talked about how, you know, 200 years ago when a random act of violence happened on the other side of the country, you didn't know about it. And if you did, it would be sometimes like months later. But What's happening now with how we uh, consume information, you are aware of every bad thing happening all around the world all at the same time. People come to me like regularly and are like, hey, did you hear about that shooting? I'm like, no, I didn't. And sometimes people are like frustrated. Why didn't we do something about that? Why didn't we, why didn't we have a moment of silence? Or why didn't we respond to this? Why didn't we, why didn't we stop what we were doing and, and do this and that and the other thing? Here's the deal. I believe that what the Lord wants in front of us, he will put in front of us. I believe the enemy wants everything else in the world in front of us so that we're stopping the real call of God. We're stopping the vision and the mandate and the destiny he's given us so that we can go mourn someone else's losses. And I'm not trying to be callous. I'm not trying to be insensitive here to all the bad things that are happening everywhere. But I'm saying that God has placed you within a community where we need to be aware. We need to have capacity left over to carry each other's burdens instead of being exasperated and emotionally fatigued by the crap of the entire world. Is this just water? <laughs> Jamal just gave me water. We need to talk to HR. <laughs> Guys. There's, a, there, there's, a, there's a, such a, an enormous truth to this because I believe that part of, the, part, of, part of a bride growing into the full stature of Jesus is a bride that that resists the urge to go find profound things and starts becoming the source of profound things. Can I say it one more time? We need to be a bride that resists the urge to go find profound things and instead we ourselves become the source of profound things because the most profound thing has already been invested in our hearts. 
And if we took half the time to meditate on this word, if we took half the time to absorb within our spirit, man, and process the truth here, instead of all the time we spend on the lies out there, we would start saying things that change people's lives. Guys, we just, I have some notes here. I just got to get to them. Listen, so he says, don't go tell anybody. Well, if I don't tell anybody, then I have a secret and I'm not comfortable with that. And everybody should know everything all the time. No. Order, order, order. Sometimes before we air out our dirty laundry, sometimes before we go, you know, smearing everything we have with good news, even our good news, we need to think of his great news. We need to think of the gospel. We need to think about the most important thing that ever could be heard from us and let that take priority and precedent. Amen? All right. Now, so we pick up right here. He leaves in a chariot and he rode towards Jezreel for Joram was lying there and Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see him. Now, verse 17, the watchman was standing on the tower in Jezreel and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, take a horseman and send him to meet them and let him say, is it peace? And so a horseman went to meet him and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what have you to do with peace? Turn behind me. And the watchman reported, the messenger came to them, but he did not return. So then they send out a second horseman who comes to them and thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu answered, what have you to do with peace? Turn behind me. So the watchman reported, he came even to them and he did not return. I'm going to stop right there for one second and just kind of give you this picture of what's happening. So Joram is wounded, okay? He's back in Jezreel, miles and miles away from the front lines, okay? He's, he's, he's retreated back to a, a medic tent for kings, if you will, with the best uh, medical attention that Israel had to offer. And he's recovering there while... All the rest of the soldiers are out fighting a battle that they are only in because of the wickedness that Joram perpetuates from his father Ahab. And so the distraction here is the warfare. I'm going to say that again because I think it's a reality for some of us. The distraction here is the warfare. The real problem is back in Jezreel. Joram, now Jehu, now anointed. There's a lot of J words in this story, so just forgive me. Jehu, now anointed to deal with the real problem, turns away from the battlefront, the front lines where all the captains were fighting, and rides into Jezreel. Now, as he's approaching, the king would have been in a well-fortified place, and he has a watchman on the wall saying, okay, you're going to let us know if you know, anything shady comes up the path. And so the guy's up there with his binoculars, and here comes a convoy coming in. And, you know, at first you see the dust cloud, and then they start getting close, and you're like, oh, no, there's a chariot there. There's some riders, and okay. And he says, okay, send somebody out to basically ask this question. Are you coming in peace? Are you coming in peace? Now, Jehu looks this rider in the eyes, and some of your translations say it this way, which is probably better. He says... No, I'm not coming in peace. Get in line. Get in line behind me or fall in. 
And he takes that messenger and he puts him behind him as he continues to ride. Now he's getting closer and the watchman's like, oh, geez, okay, this, isn't, this doesn't look good. All right, now the messenger did not come straight back. The messenger got in line behind this rider. And Joram's like, well, send out another one. So they send out another one. Are you coming in peace? And again, Jehu says, what have you to do with peace? In other words, the one you're coming here representing has nothing to do with peace. This isn't about what I'm coming in. This is about what we're all in right now. Chaos. A chaos that has been a generational curse and will continue to be so until somebody does something about it. And so he says to that guy, fall in. And that guy falls in line behind him. And as he gets closer, the watchman literally says this, and I want to just take my time with this in verse 20 right here. The watchman reported, he came even to them and did not return. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives like a madman. Some of your Bibles actually, I think, is it the New Living? Yeah, it says madman. Some of your Bibles say furiously, like a maniac. The NIV says maniac. He drives like a maniac. Now, I just want to stop there and so that we can really digest the word of the Lord here because I have been accused of driving like a madman, mostly by local law enforcement officers. And I and my wife, who is kind of a local law enforcement officer. And thank you for your service. And I, uh, I just, um, I feel like, I feel like the Lord vindicates the righteous man. You know what I'm saying? Come on, somebody in the room here that drives like a madman. Okay, good. So there, there he is driving like a madman, so much so that from a distance, they're like, oh, I'd recognize that driving anywhere. And, um, you know, it was, it was driving that actually helped me acclimate to New England. All right, so I'm from the Bible Belt, and everybody's nice down there. And they're nicer in their cars, too. You know, anybody driven in North Carolina, you know how it goes, right? And what I found when I was driving up here is like the further into the belly of the beast of this region that I got, the more I found like-minded drivers, such as myself, people who understand that, you know, that your vehicle is something like a tool that you use to get a job done, not for a lazy day off. And, uh, Anybody in here spend any time in Florida on, in the winter? No, because you're all down there right now, right? Okay, I just realized that. Listen, I can't take driving in Florida. Like, you got to start Ubering when you get to Florida because it's like, like you will die sitting at a red light. It's 15 minutes at a red light. I clocked it before, and I'm like, these people are too old for this. We can't do this to these people in Florida. We've got to address this with the Department of Transportation down here. These lights are too long. When you don't have that much time left, you need to make every minute count. And so that's how I feel every day of my life. I got to make every minute count. And uh, I remember I had, it was my first summer up here and I was on 95 near the split coming down. And I was out like in front of the mall, like in front of Providence Place Mall. And there's traffic and I am in my 1993 Ford Explorer and I'm, it was purple. Um, and I'm, you know, like plum, like the Eddie Bauer plum. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay, calm down. And so he drove a purple car. 
So I'm swerving in and out of lanes like a madman, like I'm Jehuing it down 95. And here comes the cops, okay? 5-0, right up alongside me, all right? Now, I'm used to seeing lights. I'm used to getting pulled over. I've been pulled over in every state I've ever driven in. And uh, tickets and the whole nine. And here he comes, and I'm like, okay, here we go. I know this routine. Uh, Get out of the car. They strip search everything for (laughs) drug paraphernalia and everything. Yeah, happens all the time. And, uh, and so it's happened out here in the parking lot, I think. So some, uh, an officer in Lakeland, Florida, actually told me that I, that I presented several characteristics of a narcotics user, and that's why. And I've never used drugs in my life. Never in my life. So that'll tell you where, you know, long hair and a happy days will get you. So I, I'm, I'm literally, he pulls up alongside me, lights, whoop, 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 you know, one of these. He gets on the intercom, okay? And now traffic has slowed down to a, a death crawl because of construction or something. I don't know. There was like a mob hit on, you know, Federal Hill right there or something. And everything stopped. It's a hot summer day. Everybody's windows are down, including mine. He gets on the intercom and literally says, hey, he goes, pick a lane and stay in it and stop driving like a little jerk. <laughs> literally. That was his word. And then there were a few other explicatives in there that he wasn't wrong about. And, uh, and, and I waved at him. I was like, yes, sir. And as he drove away, I said, I'm going to be all right up here. I'm going to be all right here. Lord, thank you for bringing me home. Thank you. And New England has always felt a little closer to heaven for me for that reason. So Jehu comes in riding like hell on a mission from God to assassinate a king. And notice what that king is interested in at this moment, making peace. I believe that when believers, when Christians finally arrive at the boldness required to accomplish that which is set before them, when they're finally bold enough, when we're finally bold enough to take on hell the way we've been called to, that we'll find an enemy looking to make peace. Perhaps more dangerous than the enemy that's against us is the enemy that's for us. The enemy that wants to know, hey, can we work this out? Hey, can we compromise? Is there peace? Saints, it's incredible to me that Jezreel Again, where Joram is recovering, he's already retreated from the battle. We can't be satisfied when the enemy retreats. We can't be celebrating when the enemy retreats. We don't have victory until he is dethroned, saints. We need to be a church that stops settling for debilitating the enemy and starts celebrating the dethroning of the enemy, okay? Tragically, I am of the conviction that the average Christian doesn't mind if the enemy's on the throne so long as he's not on the battlefield. Because when he's on our battlefield, he's in our face and we're feeling the pressure, we're feeling the heat, we're feeling the attack. So long as, as skies are blue and the sun is out, and, and things seem fine, we don't really care who's on the throne. 
I think, I think the, there's been a, a shift in the political mindset of our country over generations where we used to care about the ability of a leader to lead. Now we're far less concerned about it so long as, you know, there isn't anything too inconvenient or uncomfortable about our lives. I think we've got to wake up. And when we do wake up, be ready for an enemy that starts looking to make peace. Jesus says something interesting. He says, blessed are the peace. Oh, it is makers, isn't it? Blessed are the peacemakers. And yet culturally, we bless the peacekeepers. The world looks to high five the peacekeepers. Hey, keep the peace. Well, here's a newsflash. You can't keep peace that you don't already have. And we need to talk about peace for a minute because I think that part of the blinders, part of the lie, part of the, the false bill of goods that we're being sold is what peace really looks like. Ignorance is not peace. It might be bliss, but it's not peace, and it won't be bliss for very long. Staying high is not peace, even though it's legal, and you can just stay high all the time. <laughs> never mind. Like I said, never done it in my life. Doesn't mean that I, well, listen. We're going to have to talk after class. Not fighting does not equal peace. Well, if we're not fighting, we're getting along. No, getting along, getting along is something that people who hate each other have to do in order to keep the peace. Saints, sometimes you have to declare war before you can proclaim peace, okay? And, and for all of you peace lovers in the room, yes, Jesus is a prince of peace. But he had to pour out his life's blood, literally turn, paint Calvary red with his life's blood in order to arrive at that place of peace. Ignorance, not peace. Staying high, not peace. Not fighting does not equal peace. You know what peace is? Peace is obedience to God. Peace is obedience to God. No matter the bloodbath your circumstances are, peace is obedience to God. You want to know what surprises me? What surprises me to this day, I, I feel part of it is like maybe being a little jaded and part of it is just having heard every possible thing under the sun. But, but now what surprises me is when there's somebody and all hell has broken loose in their life and they are at perfect peace. I love that. It like makes my day. It, it puts me in my place. It reminds me uh, of what it really is that grounds us as believers, not things going well. You know, again, you go back and you, you, you sing songs like It Is Well and you hear the, uh, the, the story of Horatio, whatever his name is, that wrote it. And, and you have these, these guys who somehow total loss Total Job stories, total tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, chapter after chapter of their life. And they're talking about perfect peace and who the Lord really is as the source of that peace. Why? Because there's an obedience. 
There's an obedience. And saints, before we close, somebody in the room needs to hear this. Peace is the product of obedience. It is the product of obedience. It is not the absence of chaos. Well, as soon as I can get this, as soon as I can fix this, as soon as I can solve this problem, as soon as I have the answer for this, no, no. And you actually know better. Peace is the product of obedience. And I believe that there's some folks in the room this morning and you may be the young and the restless or the old and the restless or the whoever and the restless in here, but there's a, a restlessness in you. There is, there is an unsettledness in you. And maybe you've been pursuing measures. You've been taking measures, taking steps to try and find peace and it can't be found. And I want to tell you this morning that the Lord has peace for you. It is the response to your obedience to his voice. You remember Elijah on the mountain? It wasn't in the fire. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the whirlwind. There's a whole other message there that Jackie's going to preach one day on how he had to go back into a, a quiet place and wrap his face in his mantle. And from that place, he heard the still small voice and moved in obedience. If you're in the room this morning, right now, if you're in the room this morning and there's chaos in your life, there's unrest, there's anything but peace. And it might be because of, of decisions that you've made and consequences of stuff in your life. And it might also be uh, the result of things that were beyond you that you had no control over. In fact, that, that seems to be a lot of it. But if that's you in the room this morning, would you stand to your feet right now? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's good. It's good. Good, good, good. Yeah. Not being afraid to say, no, there's no peace. That's what made Jehu the hero that he was. That's what made him the warrior. That's what made him, him the fearless man of God, the one elected by heaven to receive this anointing, is that he could stand up and say, no, there is no peace. See, the world doesn't want you standing up. The world doesn't want you acknowledging that, hey, I'm in a world right now, there, there's no peace. Something's on the throne that ought not be. Something has influence in my life, in my world, in my head that ought not be there. For Jehu, he really had nothing to do with it. It was the son of a king who was wicked, who continued on that wickedness. And that was just the hand that he was dealt as the captain of an army fighting a battle he never should have been in except for the disobedience of a king but the Lord is calling you this morning away from trying to make, trying to keep peace with the world and into an obedience that makes peace in your life. So here's what we're gonna do. Everybody that's around these folks standing, would you just stretch a hand toward them? Listen, this isn't the part where somebody prays a magic prayer and you hear them and you get the answer and the, the, the problem is solved. This isn't one of those, okay? 
what we're gonna pray for right now as we stretch a hand towards you, what we're gonna pray for, we're gonna pray for enough quiet, enough quiet around you that you can hear that voice. Because when we hear him, we can obey. When we hear him, we can obey. So right now, if you're not praying for somebody, sit down and stop moving around. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, for quiet in the minds of our brothers and sisters. We pray, Lord, that your divine peace would settle in around them so your voice can make its way to them. Oh, we just pray for peace, God, a revelation of your word, of your will, and hearts that would be obedient. God, remind us this morning that obedience is better than all the sacrifice in the world. All the things that have given up, all the losses that have been sanctified and written off, Lord. And we choose obedience this morning. We choose peace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Good, you can have a seat. I feel like I feel like the Lord would say to somebody over here, one of you three people right here. I feel like oh I'm well, forgive me, I'm not as specific as some of these other guys are. I think it's you too. I think the Lord would say to you that there's a there's something about the momentum and Part of Jehu's success in this journey was the momentum that he had. I know we're joking about driving like crazy, but but it's building momentum. The enemy wants to keep you slow because when you're slow, you second guess everything. 
you second get, oh, shoot, should we have taken that exit? Should we have turned there? Should we have what? When you drive as fast as I do, you don't even think about it. You're like, oh, was there an exit there? I didn't even see it. We'll stop when we die. I believe the Lord is say, build momentum. Don't be afraid of that gas pedal. Drive like hell. There's something in front of you. Keep going, okay? Amen. All right. So he refuses to make peace with the messengers because he knows where real peace is going to come from. It's going to come from obedience. So he rides in, and then what happens? Joram realizes as soon as it's Jehu, he knows what's up. We're going to put this to bed. So Joram said in verse 21, get ready. And they made his chariot ready, and Joram king of Israel and Ahaziah king of Judah went out, each in his chariot, and they went out to meet Jehu and found him in the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. Are you kidding me? Because that's who God is. Are you kidding me? You got to know your Old Testament. If you go to this church, you do know your Old Testament. But here's the deal. Of all the places that Joram could have been recovering, he's recovering in a fortified area in Jezreel. Why Jezreel? Of all the places to go back and retreat from battle to. Why there? Why there? Because Naboth was a Jezreelite and the Lord had unfinished business in Jezreel. Now, if you don't know the story, Naboth was murdered conspired against by Jezebel so that Ahab could turn his vineyard, his family's inheritance and legacy into a vegetable garden and ends up murdering his sons and, and to take over. And uh, just a really gross story that you can go back and read later. But God was not okay with that. And what does he do? He sends Jehu and where do they meet? Where do they collide but at the property of Naboth's vineyard. Oh my God, he's so good. Verse 22, so when Joram saw Jehu, he said, is it peace, Jehu? Look at him, he's still trying. This is his Hail Mary, come on, please. And he answered, what peace? So long as the harlotries of your mother, Je oh my gosh, he just called his mom a whore. I love this. <laughs> this is why I love the Old Testament right here. You don't get this stuff in the gospels. And her witchcraft... <laughs> Look at this stuff. So long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. So Joram reigned about and fled. Good idea. And said to Ahaziah, there's treachery. Oh, Ahaziah. And Jehu drew his bow with his full strength. Why? Because when the Lord calls you to a job like this, it takes everything you've got. Laziness doesn't work in a bride that's called to war. Laziness, laziness works more on the battlefield than it does in an assignment like this. He pulls back with his full strength. And I want that to be a word for somebody in here this morning. Don't be afraid of exhausting yourself. Like when, you, when you're doing the Lord's work, you're tired. It takes your full strength. Like when you're sitting down and counseling with someone and you're walking them through stuff and you're doing it the right way, People are like, oh, no, I, I'm removed from it. And I just, you know, go through the textbook things and whatever. When your spirit man is invested in your calling, it will exhaust you. And it's good. 
it's good to then be tired, be exhausted, and go rest in the Lord and be restored for the next round. With his full strength, he draws his bow and fires an arrow right through dude's heart, okay? And he sank in his chariot. Now, it gets good right here. He drew his bow right through the heart, sank in his chariot. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his officer, take him up and cast him into the property of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For I remember when you and I were writing together after Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid this oracle against him. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this property, says the Lord. Now then take and cast him into the property according to the word of the Lord. Would you stand with me, saints? I read that line and I heard the Lord say to me, like super clear, like this generation's obedience will restore the last generation's losses. This generation's obedience will restore the last generation's losses. And I think that goes beyond, you know, we struggle sometimes with the, depending on what your theology background is, some of us struggle with the idea of like generational curses. Um, we don't necessarily struggle as much with the idea of generational blessings. We like that one. For some reason, we like the, but anyway. But what's interesting is that it's, it's scientific, first of all. Um, they've proven it. Uh, neurology and um, just DNA and the imprint of sin and the chemicals that, that are released in our bodies based on stuff, it, it actually has been proven to come down to, imagine this, the third and fourth generation, just like scripture says. But here's what's interesting. If you're struggling with this, let me remind you that sin itself is a generational curse. Like we were born into sin because Adam sinned, okay? So there isn't really any like getting out of this. If you don't want to get specific because it makes you uncomfortable, whatever, okay. But just know this, that Jehu was anointed to deal with a generational problem, okay? Now, Ahab, the sort of patriarch of problem, you know how he was killed? He was killed by a random arrow shot by a random soldier at a random time. I didn't already say this point in this service, did I? Yeah. Man, everything's running together in my head. Dude, fires a shot. Random soldier. Just kind of like a, hey guys, watch this. You know, like a redneck YouTube video, kind of that kind of thing. More information that you need to digest. Fires a random arrow into the air and it soars out of sight and finds its way into a chink in the armor of one of the most wicked kings to have ever lived. Someone who had made himself godlike. Someone who Jezebel had falsely exalted beyond that place of the Lord among his people. Divine intervention. That arrow, divine intervention. Nobody was trying, nobody was aiming. He wasn't in the crosshairs. He wasn't at the end of a scope. Random arrow, divine intervention. Some kings are killed by divine intervention and some are killed by direct intention. And you may be able to look back over your life and say, hey, you know what? 
I saw God. I saw the divine intervention. I saw it was a miracle. God took care of this problem. And then we love that Rita song. And all I did was worship. And all I did was praise. This is how I fight my battle. <laughs> we love that. We sit back and sing Kumbaya and pass the peace pipe until all of our problems are taken care of. But here's the deal. There's a time for divine intervention and there's a time for direct intention. There's a time when the anointing comes upon us and we step out and we ride out like a madman to go after that which has been destined for destruction. When we don't let up just because he's been wounded. When we don't settle just because he's retreated. When we go after and we finish the job and that obedience, saints, will restore what has already been written off as a loss. That radical, reckless, sometimes act of treasonous obedience will render redemption and restoration of what the Lord has been wanting to pass down. So God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the anointing of your spirit and that is poured out over your sons and your daughters in this room. And God, I pray for a boldness to rise up in us, Lord. One that that won't stop until we attain to that full stature of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we know when to get out of the way and let you fire those divine shots. But Lord, that we're also ready to ride when you say ride. We're, we're re- refusing to make peace, to negotiate with terrorists. We're refusing to, to settle for something less than righteousness and holiness and purity. God, I pray that you would take the obedience of your bride and that you would use it, Lord, to get what you deserve that you would have your reward, have your prize. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.